If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 3, verse 3. John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, if you're not born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. In fact, the Greek is so confusing. In some of the translation, it is said, born from above. What is it? Born from above. So Jesus is saying, if you're not born from above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What I want to tell you is that the kingdom of God is a superior reality and anybody who needs to see that superior reality has to be born from above. He needs to be from a superior descent. He needs to have a superior DNA. And that you have when you accepted Jesus. When you invited him into your life, when you heard the gospel, you invited him into your life, you were born from above. And because you were born from above, you can see the kingdom. Because you were born from above, you can see the kingdom. This kingdom is a superior kingdom. It's not the kingdom of the world. It's a superior kingdom. A superior kingdom of righteousness, a superior kingdom of peace, a superior kingdom of joy. That's why Jesus, whenever he spoke about peace, I leave with you. Not that the world gives, but my peace I leave with you. Then he again, he says, joy, so that your joy will be full. Not the joy of the world, but your joy, my joy that I have, I give it to you. So this reality that we have, the righteousness, peace and joy of the kingdom is a superior reality than the world can give. So it doesn't matter if you have enough money in your accounts. It doesn't matter if your relationships, you know, are, you know, compared to the natural world, it, it looks weird. It doesn't matter. Those things don't matter because no matter where you are, you have to understand that you are part of a superior kingdom. And that superior kingdom has the power and the capacity to overflow and overwhelm your natural reality. And that is what the gospel is. So Jesus is saying, hey, you don't have to live your lives the way you have been living. You don't have to go through all of that, like struggle and live, live through life somehow just surviving and just existing. I can give you life. Humans have been surviving, but I can give you life so that you can live. See, Paul says, for me to die is gain and to live is Christ. And we all want to die. What would he choose between gain and Christ? What would he choose between gain and Christ? Christ, right? What did he say? For me to die is gain, but to live is? So what do we need to learn? To live. To live so that Jesus becomes our life. So kingdom of God is a superior kingdom. Okay? In Christ, everybody has the opportunity to live an abundant life. In Christ, everybody has the opportunity to live an abundant life. There's a potential inside of you. The Spirit of God that is inside of you has the potential, has the capacity to overflow and to bring forth eternal and abundant life from you and through you. It has the capacity to do that. Right? But the question is, how willing are you to let, let, that, let that power from within you you know, flow. And what is the thing that is stopping you? What is the thing that is stopping that power? There's only one thing. That is our, what did I say? What is our? 
hearts the hardness of our hearts so the more the hardness of the hearts breaks more our heart breaks you see the power flowing see why is it okay how many of you attest to this why is it that when you are broken you feel god's presence why is it is it because god is waiting you break then i'll come no presence of god is always there but something happens to our heart that when we are broken we just let go and then we experience the presence of god oh wow see i am telling you you don't need pain to experience the presence of god it's an attitude the attitude is lord i am not enough and i need you i want you you are more than enough for me it's an attitude brokenness is an attitude don't wait for something traumatic and tragic to happen in your life to experience god's presence brokenness is an attitude can i tell you one of the secrets of how lighthouse has grown is one of the secrets of how lighthouse has grown is when people have had breakups sadly because somehow when they have breakup they get to know the lord they're more open to the move of the spirit i'm saying why wait for that you don't have to wait for something traumatic to happen you don't have to wait for something tragic to happen brokenness is an attitude is an attitude in saying lord i am not enough and i want you i want you i want you okay so today what i want to talk to you about is kingdom authority kingdom authority okay so if you have your bible turn with me to ephesians chapter 1 ephesians chapter 1 was 19 to 22 and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places so paul is talking about the power of resurrection that worked in christ is the same power of resurrection that worked in that is working in us is is that true Okay the power of resurrection that worked in Christ is the same power of resurrection that is working in us right now okay now see what it did for Jesus it did far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church see as part of the kingdom we have authority in christ we have an authority in christ where is christ seated christ is seated at the right hand of god far above every power every rule every authority he seated there right where are we we are his body everything has been given under the feet of jesus that means everything has been given under the church yes Do you know what's the one of the most quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament? The most quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament is Psalms 110 verse 1. Psalms 110 verse 1 says, "The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool." So the Lord said to my Lord, there are two lords. What is he talking about? Yahweh said to Adonai, God the Father said to God the Son, "Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool." When did that happen? When did God say to Jesus, "Sit at my right hand"? Once Jesus died, was resurrected, and he ascended. When he ascended, God said, "Now come, sit at my right hand. Now you are the king of this kingdom. I will make all your enemies. I'll bring them under your footstool." 
Are you hearing me? So we are not at the same place as we were 2000 years ago. 2000 years ago, there are a lot of, in this, in this 2000 years of gap, a lot of enemies of Jesus have been brought under his footstool. That's why the, the, the enemies that our fathers fought, we are no longer fighting them. Because God has brought them under. The, the enemies that we are fighting are not the enemies that our children will be fighting. Our ceiling will become their floor. Our father's ceiling have become our floor. Right? It's like, it's like passing the baton. That's why the author of Hebrews says, you know, the cloud of witnesses are cheering you and saying, go on, go on. Because we fought this battle and we won. And we know that you have it in you to fight this and win. Because it is the work of God who is doing this. It is God who is, who, is, who is bringing all the enemies under his footstool. If all the enemies are being brought under his footstool and if we are the body, that means it, it is being brought under us. So there's a positional authority that we have in Christ far above every rule, every authority, every power, every dominion. See, when you're fighting the enemy, don't think you're fighting like David. With Goliath, you know, who goes into the valley and David and Goliath are at the same level. No, you're not fighting that, that kind of, that's not the kind of warfare. You are fighting from a superior reality where your enemies are below you. You're far above all power. There's a positional authority that you have in the kingdom and that is far above all power, all authority, all rule, all dominion because you are seated with Christ. You are seated with Christ. Amen. Amen. What is the proof of your authority? What, what was the proof of Jesus' authority? How did the people recognize that Jesus had authority? You know what was the proof? The proof was that his words had immediate effect. He would say, be healed and they'll be healed. He'll say, your sins are forgiven. They'll experience the forgiveness. He'll say, Lazarus, come out. He would come out. Your words will have immediate effect. The proof of authority is that your words will have power. See, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says, And the earth was void and formless, and there was nothing. It was just waters all over. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light immediately. There was light. What did the centurion said to Jesus? The centurion said, don't come. You don't have to lay your hand. Just speak the word. And I believe it. Because I am a man under authority. I understand that. I understand authority. So I know that your words will have power. But my question is, why don't we see that kind of authority? That's the question. Why don't we see that in our lives? Okay? Where whatever we speak, let there be rain. No rain. <laughs> Why is it that when we speak, nothing happens? Yeah? Are you interested to know the answer? Okay. Now see, where I'm taking you is not where I started from. Okay? So, <laughs> so stay with me. You have to understand one thing. There are two kinds of authority. The first one is absolute authority. Absolute authority is the one who owns it. So who owns the world? So who has the authority? So God has the absolute authority. Say with me, God has the absolute authority. Turn with me to Psalms 24 verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. So the earth is the Lord's. 
So who has the absolute authority over the earth? God. He's the creator. He has absolute authority. But read with me Psalms 115 verse 16. It says like this, The heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of man. He has given to the children of man. So, does the earth belong to the Lord? Does the earth belong to the Lord? Does he have absolute authority? But he has given to man. See, what we need to understand is there's only one in the entire cosmos that has absolute authority, and that is God. All of us, the authority that we have is a leased authority. Do you know lease? You know, when you give your house for lease, house for rent, it's a leased authority. And the problem is we don't understand the difference between leased authority and absolute authority. Leased, the spelling is not L-E-A-S-T, it is L-E-A-S-E-D. Leased, shared authority, where uh, the the house owner gives the house for rent to somebody who wants to stay there, but the house owner won't just barge into the house and knock every, every time he wants. He respects the authority that he has given to him. It's a leased authority. It's a shared authority. Okay? The problem is humans never were satisfied with leased authority. What was the sin in the garden? What did the devil tell Adam? You can be like God. They were already like God. Then what more is the devil talking about? He's saying you can be like God in absolute authority without needing him. That's the sin. Why, why are you living on rent, man? You can be the owner. Encroach the land. That is what the devil was telling Adam. As long as we stay under the authority, under the absolute authority of God, we will experience our shared authority in its full effect. Because the authority of God backs us up. But the moment in our mind we are like, oh, I am the owner. That mindset, oh, I am the owner. The stress of it, the burden of it will kill you. The story of, of the two sons in Luke 15, what was Jesus addressing? Both of them did not want to enjoy the inheritance in their father's name. They wanted, they wanted it in their name. So the, the younger son said, you know what? I can't do this. Just give me my share of inheritance because I, I, I can't let you be the owner. I want to be the owner. Give it in my name. The older one comes and says, you do not even give a goat. So that I could celebrate with my friends. See, both of them, the problem is the same. Both of them want absolute authority. And that's the problem with us. We want absolute authority. We're not satisfied that we are under the absolute authority of God. And we can enjoy and operate in the least authority that God has blessed us with. In the shared authority that God has blessed us with. We are not satisfied. And because we are not satisfied, we don't experience that kind of authority. True authority comes from submission. You can only experience as much authority as you are submitted to. Jesus said like this in John 14, verse 13, 14. He said, whatever you ask in my name. He's talking about works, okay? Amazing miracles that Jesus done, okay? That's the context. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will 
do it that's why we pray in the name of jesus that's why we lay our hands on the sick and pray in the name of jesus that's why we we pray for people who are demon possessed and we cast them out in the name of jesus but you have to understand what what does it mean invoking the name of jesus invoking the name of jesus is not a formula it's not a formula it is an attitude it's an attitude that says that i'm invoking a higher name my own than my own i'm invoking a greater than a greater name i'm under submission that is what it means i'm not coming against you with this flesh with this what you see i'm not coming against you i come against you in the name of the lord that's why david had the audacity to face goliath and he said hey you uncircumcised philistine i come against you in the name of the lord because he understood that he recognized that this peter and paul there was there was a time when they didn't even have to pray the shadows the shadows healed people paul's handkerchief healed people he didn't have to say in the name of jesus why because subconsciously he was operating under the submission of being under jesus there's a story in the bible in the acts so some people got this right some people saw this pattern oh these people are praying in the name of jesus and demons are flying and sick are being healed so some people saw this you know some funny people and they thought oh man this is like a formula right the wonderful formula nice see i'll i'll show you what happened acts chapter 19 verse 11 God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them now look at this then some of the itinerant jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the lord jesus over those who had evil spirits saying i adjure you by the jesus whom paul proclaims funny right they don't know jesus they don't know paul so they say i adjure you by the name of jesus that paul proclaims look at look at what happens seven sons of a jewish high priest named skiva were doing this but the evil spirit answered them jesus i know paul i recognize but who are you and the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them mastered all of them overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded if you try to use the name of jesus without submission this is what is going to happen invoking the name of jesus is not a formula invoking the name of jesus just means that you're telling the power and principalities that you're facing that you're under authority and because you're under authority this entire kingdom that is backing you up saying in the name of jesus is not a magical spell that changes everything so you can keep doing in the name of jesus in the name of jesus and nothing happened because your heart has not submitted it is about submission so how do you want to grow in authority it's very simple submission submission can i tell you this authority cannot come it does not come with prayer indirectly okay authority does not come with prayer but i'll tell you what prayer does prayer brings revelation what does prayer do prayer brings revelation and revelation 
opens your eyes to see the authority that you are in. Prayer brings revelation. How do I know this? What was the first verse that I read? Ephesians 1 verse 19, right? Read with me verse 16. Ephesians 1 verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glory is inheritance in the saints, and then the next is about the power of God. What does prayer do? Prayer gives you revelation. Revelation tells you the positional authority that you have in Christ. So what prayer does is not, Lord, you do this. Prayer is change my heart. Change in me, transform me so that I can be more submitted to you, so that I can be consumed by your presence, so that this authority that you have, I can also flow in that authority, so that I can surrender and not demand independence from that authority, but I can submit to your authority and let that authority flow in and through my life. You want to walk in greater authority? It can only happen through submission. Through submission. The calling upon every man and woman of God is not to just decrease so that he can increase. The calling is to die so that his resurrection power is revealed in you. John the Baptist, he said, let me decrease, let him increase. And I'm not trying to do character assassination, but I want you to see this. John the Baptist is the same guy who goes in prison and then he sends a word. Ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come? And Jesus tells him, Tell him whatever you see. And then he says, blessed is the one who is not offended because of me. Because as long as you suppress yourself down and let him increase, there is still an opportunity for you to be offended. But the day you're like, consume me, I'm willing to die, he can take over. His resurrection power can take over. Two people in the Old Testament who walked in greater authorities. Two people, I've been, I've been doing a lot of research okay, this week. Two people who walked in great authority are Moses and Elijah, who had, the, who had the audacity to stand in front of kings and defy them. Yes? Who had the audacity to do that. Can you tell me any, any one of us who can do that in the current situation that we are in? Just imagine the kind of revelation and authority that they lived in. And you know what's, what's the most common thing about them? 40 days of prayer and fasting. I'm sorry, guys. You don't like prayer? You don't like fasting? Including Jesus. 40 days of prayer and fasting. They were, they were immersed in the presence of God so much. Do you know that Elijah was afraid? Do you know that Moses was scared? Then what gave them the, what gave them the boldness? Do you know the disciples were scared? What gave them the boldness? That boldness was not natural. The boldness came from the Spirit of God. The first thing that the Bible records when the Holy Spirit came upon them was they started preaching in boldness. Why? Because they understood the authority that they carried. They understood that the kingdom was backing them and it was not their authority. It was not their independent authority. Not natural authority. It was the authority of God. They recognized that. I know especially people who have been journeying with me for so long, you don't like to hear the word fasting and you like the word feasting more than fasting. But something about fasting, can I tell you something? There is something about fasting that breaks you down. 
that breaks you down and invokes the presence of God. There's something about fasting. I don't know yet. I'm still trying to figure it out. But there is something about fasting. You see in the Bible, whoever has fasted, their levels have changed. King of Nineveh, when they heard this, this news about the wrath of God, about the judgment of God, what did he say? Not even animals, you will also not eat. Man, poor animals. But what happened? The three days of fasting changed the history, shaped the history. I was reading a book on fasting and there was this instance where this author writes about the Senate of the US had one national day of fasting, humility, as a national day of humility and fasting during the time of Abraham Lincoln. Why? So that we will not get caught up in our pride and power. Something about fasting, I don't know what. There's something about fasting that invokes the fire of God. Look at all these three people, Moses, Elijah, Jesus. Look at how they die. How do they die? It's glorious. They don't die natural death. I've personally seen in my life, okay? This week, this week, the Lord has been talking to me about fasting. This week, when I just look back into my life, my, my life theologically you know, my passion for God has changed in 2012, right? I've told you guys, 2012. And I know that happened because I was on a five days fasting because I wanted to know the will of God for a girl that I liked. Okay? That's, that's why I was there. Honest truth. Not Betty, somebody else. But it was by the end of that, of that fast that something in me that the Lord, that the Lord opened. And I, I, I started thinking about, okay, 2012, that happened. Then I started retracing my steps and I saw that every time I have fasted, my level has just increased. It has just increased. Can I explain why? I don't know. I just don't know. But I just know that there's something about fasting that lets your flesh go down and let your spirit take over. You know what Jesus tell, told the disciples? You can't even watch for one hour of prayer. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And sometimes the fasting, that it, it just helps you to subdue the flesh. Because in the, in the daily activities of, of our life, you know, we're so caught up that every time, you know, the flesh even takes over, we don't, we don't even recognize. But there's something about fasting that tells your flesh to be uncomfortable so that your spirit can take over. Because fasting represents brokenness. It just represents brokenness. You see any saints of God in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, okay, New Testament, New Testament, Paul, Barnabas, and you see any saints in the Bible, they have fasted. They have fasted. Why? To come into that place of submission and say, Jesus, God, I am not enough. I want you. I need you more. And whenever they have done that, they have come out more glorious. They come out more glorious. May God bless you guys. Come on, will you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you, we thank you. We thank you. Lord, we just pray that this will not just become another sermon, but this will become our reality to submit to you. To submit to you with all our heart and with all our mind and with all our understanding so that you consume us, your presence consumes us. Father, we want to surrender so that you can take over. Father, your authority is not that we are 
craving for, but it's your presence. And the authority just flows when we are submerged in your presence. Father, I pray a deep passion for each and every one of us to pursue you more than the gifts, to pursue you more than the authority. Let the reality of your presence engulf us, swallow us, overwhelm my desires. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.